Hey, my name is Dustin and this is my wife, Mandy, and we wanna say thank you for checking out today's message at Citizen Church. Yeah, so whether you're in your car or at work, wherever you might be today, it is our hope and prayer that you leave encouraged and equipped in your daily life. So here's the message. Well, um, before I get into my message today, continuing our series, I think most of us are um, caught up a little bit about what's going on in the Middle East with Israel. And that is a very big deal, big deal biblically. Um, and it has just been stirring my heart like crazy with, uh, we have many friends over there and just seeing what's happening. And the Bible does instruct us to pray for uh, the, the well-being of Jerusalem in the book of Psalms. And so that's what we're going to do. I know we just prayed over, um, our offering today, but what's happening in Israel is so important. The Bible instructs us to pray, uh, for what's happening in Israel. The Bible instructs us to back Israel. It's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. Uh, we love Israel. We also love innocent people of any nation who are caught up in warfare. And so we're just going to pray for resolution and peace in that area. We're going to pray for the well-being of Israel, but also pray for any man, woman, and child who is an innocent victim of everything happening there. I know you guys just sat down, but I feel weird with us sitting while we pray. Can you guys stand up one more time as we pray? Also in Maui, if you guys would also stand uh, while we pray. And I want us to really stand in the gap in both of our campuses today for uh, the people in Israel, that God's hand would guide leaders, that the destruction and catastrophe could be held um, at a minimum, and that we would see the hand of God move in that area. Can you guys pray with me today for that? Can we? Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And God, we just also ask right now in the name of Jesus, God, we, we give this situation to you. Obviously, God, your heart is for every person in the world, but you have, you have promised Israel, God, they have been your people since the very beginning. And God, you've instructed us to pray for their well-being. You have instructed us to back them and befriend them, God. And today we stand in the gap. We pray for Israel. We pray for the well-being of the nation. We pray for the well-being of Jerusalem today that you would guide the leaders of the nation, that they would make godly decisions, Father. We also pray that you would guide uh, the leaders of nations that don't even follow you, Father, because you are sovereign, you are good, and we're praying against calamity. We're praying against uh, further uh, destruction, God, with all of those people who have died. I think it's 600 people who have lost their lives and many more who are injured, God. We just pray for protection, God, and offer all innocent people who are caught up in this, Father. We just pray for every man, woman, and child of every nation and every people group because everyone has your heart, Father. We, we stand in the gap today. We believe these things, and we ask in your name for protection. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing our series, The Seven Dimensions of Discipleship, today. And our anchor verse for this series, and really, um, it's, it's what everything comes down to. Jesus commissioned us to make disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. He said, therefore, go and make, what? Disciples. And who was he speaking to when he said this? Disciples. All right, we're getting louder and louder on that every week, so I'm glad. He is speaking to disciples, telling them to go make disciples. Disciples. What is our running definition of the word disciple in this series? Is this someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus, which is disciple making? 
If you're new to our, our church today, or maybe you're just new for this series, we are calling these the seven dimensions of discipleship. And if we are growing in each one of these dimensions, then we are growing as disciples of Jesus Christ, who are also making disciples. Because the truth is, in our world today, we have a multiplication problem when it comes to discipleship, because the multiplication isn't happening. We have to be disciples before we can multiply ourselves into people and make disciples. Jesus didn't say, go make converts. He didn't say, go ask people to only raise their hands or, or quote a prayer. Jesus says it goes deeper than that. Lasting faith comes from discipleship. Do you guys believe that today? Lasting faith comes from discipleship. The title of my message today and the dimension we're looking at is this. The title is God's design for generosity. Generosity, congratulations, you made it to the generosity week. Aren't you excited? You know, I, I'm excited for it. Generosity is about more than money, obviously. It's a posture in life, but we are going to speak on this and look at this from a financial aspect today. One of the promises I wanna make you um, as your pastor is this. I heard someone say a few months ago on social media, pastors and churches only talk about money when they're desperate for money. And it kind of struck me as odd because we've never done that except for one instance that I'll tell you about. I wanna make you a promise. I will never stand up here and preach on money as a tool of any kind of coercion or manipulation. I will teach on money from a place of strength. I am, I am teaching on money today, on generosity, from a place of strength in our church. I think we can clap to that. And, and the beauty of that is this. The beauty of that is this. Um, we are in a position of strength. We are not desperate. The church is not going to rise and fall based on your opinion about money and what to do with it in the Bible. I would be lying to you if I said, though, I don't dream sometimes with our leadership team and our board about all the things we could be doing ministry-wise around the world if more than eight or 9% of our church consistently gave. I, I do dream about what we could accomplish in our city and the things we depend on the government for when actually the church is built to solve those problems. But I'll never teach, or I'll, never, I'll never come to you and say, this is what we gotta do about money from a place of desperation. The only time I've done that, and really the only time we've ever done that, because my dad was the pastor long before me, was actually about two months ago, and I was very real with you. When the fires happened in Maui, it was catastrophic. Our congregation there was in a desperate place, meaning we are in a desperate place because we are one congregation in two locations. And so I came to you and said, guys, we're in a desperate place. Our Maui campus, the people there desperately need us to step up. I was truthful, shot straight with you, and we stepped up as a church and are helping our Maui campus. And it's amazing to see how far that generosity is going for all, all of our, our, our church family there. But again, today, we're, we're operating from a place of strength as a church. We are. We're growing and expanding. But I believe today God is calling you in your life to grow and expand. I believe there's so much more God is calling our church to do when the system he has to do it, though, comes back to the generosity of the people who call local churches their home. I'm going to make some assumptions today. Um, oftentimes when a pastor preaches on money, there's a lot of insecurity because, to be honest, there's more pushback when we preach on money than there is when we preach on sexuality. And it kind of reveals where some idols might be in our lives, but that's another sermon for another day. But I'll, I'll say this, though. I'm going to make some assumptions. Because really, the statistics show that people aren't against giving. Most Christians aren't against tithing. 
My assumptions today are this. Most of you, most of you who are Christians that aren't faithfully tithing, which is 10% of our income, or faithfully giving beyond the tithe, you want to put God first with your money. That's one of the assumptions I wanna make today because I believe it's true. Every believer, I would say, you want to put God first with your money. I also think that most believers, whether you're brand new or been coming here for a while, most, most of you want to not only be in the house of God, you want to build the house of God. We don't just wanna come, I wanna be a part of building this and, and sowing seeds into this soil. I also wanna make the assumptions today that you would love for God to use you in a mighty big way, financially, when it comes to building the house of God and spreading the kingdom of God around the world. I, I've rarely talked to believers that are adamantly against putting God first with their money. But the truth is this, in the economy where it's at right now, with our budgets and, and many people in debt and looking at different things going on in their lives, we look at 10% the tithe and we think, I don't see how it's mathematically possible. I have the desire to do it. We're gonna give what we can, but I just don't see how it's possible to get to the tithe. Over the course of the next few minutes, I wanna talk about that. I wanna, again, assume that most of us have this heart of wanting to know what the Word of God says about this, wanting to obey what the Word of God says about this, we want what's best for our lives, our families. We want the firm foundation under our feet of knowing I'm putting God first with everything, not just everything, but our finances. So today I have two main points and like usual, a few sub points under those main points. But here's our header for today. My personal discipleship and purpose depend on me understanding and believing two things. I'll read that again, I know it's longer. My personal discipleship and purpose depend on me understanding and believing two things. The reason why I didn't in this header say my personal financial discipleship and purpose depend, because this is what I firmly believe, spending my entire adult life studying this topic, not just from the perspective of a pastor, but of a believer, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, I firmly believe our purpose and our discipleship as a whole, as a whole, is tied to our perspective on putting God first with our money. So what are these two things? Number one is this. God is the creator and owner of everything. We have to understand that right out of the gate. When it comes to putting God first with our finances, do you believe that God is the creator and owner of everything, yes or no? Yes, yes. Uh, if you say no and you're a believer, we'll have to go back to the basics a little bit. He is the creator and owner of everything. I think oftentimes so much, when I'm, now that I'm an adult, and you probably do this too, do you ever think sometimes in your relationship with God, oftentimes I find myself acting with God like my kids act with me as a parent? Do you guys ever find yourself doing this? Like, no, it's mine, you know, kind of thing. God's like, ha, ha, ha. We were, I was at, I took my youngest daughter, Aslan, uh, she's nine years old, to a movie not too long ago. And just, just you know, me and her, dad and daughter time, it, it was awesome. We go to the movie, I said, hey, today is special. You can get a drink, candy, and popcorn. We're high rolling today, right? Okay, so, and you really have to be if you're going to get that at a movie theater right now. That'll be 89, you know, okay, whatever. So we get all this stuff, 
we go into the movie theater and she was asking me, what are you gonna get? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm just gonna get a Coke Zero, watching my weight kind of thing. You know, I'm getting a Coke Zero. But we go in and I'm sitting next to her and that popcorn, it's looking pretty good. Really buttery and it's big popcorn. She doesn't need all that. And so I reach over and I just start eating some of the popcorn during the movie. And all of a sudden I felt this like laser beam burning <laughs> in the side of my face. And I look over and my nine-year-old daughter, Aslan, is looking at me like I had lost my mind. Her eyes were glaring into my soul and she mouths, but does not say, she mouths this, get your own. And I looked, I wanted to look at her and go, I own you, you know, kind of thing. Like I own it all, right? That's my popcorn. That's my candy. That's my Coke. I bought it. Everything you're wearing, I bought. There is nothing you have as a nine-year-old that you have because of you. I gave you everything. I didn't say all that, but it went all through my head, right? Oftentimes, just like it is with parenting with our kids, that's how our relationship with God is. And what we'll do is this. We go, God, I want to give you something, but I can't because it's mine. And we don't necessarily have this bad attitude, but sometimes we even as believers fall into this trap of actually believing that it's up to us. What we have and what we've earned is because of me, my brain, my hands. And we forget that there's another layer we're not looking at because it's God who gave you the brain. It's God who gave you the hands. It's God who opened up the door for the job. It's God who gave you the raise. It's the God who gave you the house. Everything we have is his. And he says, bring 10% of that back. Mm, it's mine. We have to go back to understanding the first thing. It's an ownership issue. How we view ownership will dictate our discipleship. How you view ownership, not just of money, of everything in your life when it comes to God, how you view ownership will dictate your discipleship. We can get all of these other things right, but if the last thing we're holding on to is this, God does not have everything. He has everything but that, which means we're holding on to one lowercase g, God saying, I just want this one. Can't I grow in all of these? And he's saying, it's all or nothing. Mark 10, 21 shows us that exact thing. It's the story of the rich young ruler. This young man runs up to Jesus at the height of Jesus' ministry. And he says, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, and that terminology coming from a rabbi explicitly meant this, if you want to be my disciple, go and you got to, first of all, you've got to obey all the laws. And he gives them all these things. And the young man says, I, I obey all of those. I, I do all of that. And we're going to pick up in verse 21 of Mark 10. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Then be my disciple. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, it is completely conclusive. Scholars believe that Jesus was not necessarily expecting this man and not expecting us to go sell all of our possessions. But what Jesus was showing this young man when it comes to the topic of generosity was this. You can obey all the other laws and rules. You can do everything perfectly. But if I can't have that compartment, I don't have you. 
Because Jesus understands that the human condition, what will happen is the biggest competitor for our hearts with God is money. Jesus knew it. God knows it. And he actually puts it explicitly in scripture. Jesus, again, in Matthew chapter six, says this. How could you worship two gods? He only gives two options for gods at the same time. You will have to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. Jesus is saying, if I, if I don't come first in that, I'm not coming first in your life. I'm telling you guys, just because I'm a pastor, hopefully I say this every week and I want us to understand this. This is not a sermon I'm preaching at you. Yes, Mandy and I tithe. We are generous. There's never been a season in our married life where we have not tithed or given above and beyond the tithe, above 10%. And I'm not telling you that to pat myself on the back. I'm telling you that because I'm never going to ask you to do something I don't fully believe in and have jumped into the deep end with myself. We tithe, we give, but at the same time, we're human. Every time the tithe goes out, 10% of your income, you look at that go out and you're like, Oh, okay, what could we do with that? Uh, I mean, I'm being honest. There's times when it feels like that. But at the same time, I'll figuratively pull my hand back in and go, but what would it look like if I didn't? I don't know what I could do. How can I hold on to what God has asked me to bring back? Jesus basically was telling us in these two stories that it's going to come down to him or money. Because the truth is, ultimately at the base level, we're either depending on God or we're depending on money first. And that, that's, that's the bottom line. Number two is this. This is the longest point I've had in a while and I just couldn't get it any shorter. So I'm gonna read it several times. God has put into motion eternal laws, principles, and patterns by which the world is governed. God has put into motion eternal laws, principles, and patterns by which the world is governed. On this point, I want us to step back. Don't look at money like this. Look at it from 30,000 feet. Look at the system of the universe, eternity. And we ask ourselves, what systems, principles, and patterns has God set into motion as the creator and owner of everything? What are these systems that he is giving me the freedom to choose whether or not I will engage in or I will fight and go against while I live my life? What are these systems, especially when it comes down to generosity and finances in our lives? When we look at these laws and principles and patterns, they're universal, they're absolute, and they're unavoidable. You don't have to believe in them, but they're real. You you can pretend they don't exist, but they're governing everything. God has shown us these things, and we can choose to step in line with them or against them, against them. What are these laws and principles? Number one is this, the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. This is, this is something that um, the Hindu religion calls karma, but the law of sowing and reaping is more ancient and timeless and goes back even further because the one true God instituted it, he put it into motion, and he's saying this is what everything hangs on. You look in agriculture, 
You look into the spirit realm. You look in farming. All of these different aspects, the law of sowing and reaping is a universal, transcendent, unavoidable, eternal law. Galatians 6, 7 and 9 says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. I'm just going to show you two examples in scripture, but there are over 50 explicit scriptures that talk about sowing and reaping, and over 100 in the Old and New Testament that allude to this topic of what we sow, we will reap. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I know when people talk about money, they go, oh, you know, are, are you a prosperity gospel preacher? In, in that kind of, have you ever heard that terminology in that kind of way? No. Where, I don't believe where, you know, if you give, God's going to have a brand new car waiting for you in the parking lot. And if you sow into this ministry, he's going to amplify the millions. That's, that's weird. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I think Satan will take the weirdness that some of these prosperity preachers will say, and he will take that and label, try to label the law of sowing and reaping. So people never actually believe they will reap what they sow. But the truth is, when you sow, you will reap. It, it, it's just the truth. The law of sowing and reaping is always in effect. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. You reap what you sow more than you sow and later than you sow. It is a transcendent universal law. I've said this before, but I love um, the weather, like weather apps. Anybody else? I've actually nicknamed myself Doppler, Doppler Dustin. <laughs> like maybe in another life, I would have been a weatherman or so. You know, weathermen always have those weird nicknames. I'm like, I could be Doppler Dustin. Okay, so, but I, I'm the guy, I'm never gonna show up on a vacation. I'm never gonna show up at the balloon fiesta surprised by the weather. I'm studying it. I've learned how to read radar. I'm a nerd. I love it. Anybody else like this? I have every weather app you can imagine on my phone. I love this stuff. But I think I like it because I also like forecasting things. I love looking into the future and predicting what's going to happen. I think that can be a strength in leadership because you're looking into the future and you're casting vision and trying to predict. But as much as it is a strength, it can also be a weakness because you're trying to forecast something that you have no control of. Because every weather app can say anything, but it is still the uncontrollable weather. We can try to read it, but it will never bend to our will. You following me? So oftentimes when it comes to our finances, when it comes to the seed we're sowing into the ground, the seed we're sowing into the local church to build the kingdom of God, we try to forecast and we're trying to live in this realm of, well, what if I don't sow, what's going to happen? If I do sow, what's going to happen? And we're trying to forecast all of these things. But at the bottom line, God's saying, sow the seed. And we're saying, but God, if I sow this right now, if I do this, what's going to happen with our finances? 10% is a lot. Generosity is a lot. God, but I, I can feel you, you, you calling me to do this. But if I do this, what if, and what if, and what if, and you're looking at all of these different things, but God's saying, just sow the seed. Ecclesiastes eleven four four through six says this, one who watches the wind will not sow. 
and the one who looks at the clouds will not harvest. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes everything. I love this, here's the command. So sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether one or the other will succeed or whether both of them alike will flourish. God's saying you, you can't live in the realm of what if and what if God doesn't step, uh, step in and what if he doesn't come through. I, I don't know what's going to happen if we start doing this. What God is saying is you can't look at the clouds. You can't look at the wind. Just do the one thing I've asked you to do. In all of creation, man only has one responsibility within the entire creative process of sowing and reaping. You wanna know what it is? Put the seed in the ground. That's it. God says, I'm gonna be the one who brings the dead seed to life. I'm gonna be the one. I'm gonna be the one that brings nutrients to the soil. I'm gonna be the one that brings rain upon the crops. I'm gonna be the one that causes it to burst through the ground. I'm gonna be the one that causes fruit to come from the stems. I'm going to be the one. But it's our job, he says, just sow seed in the morning. But there are two hindrances to the harvest. Two hindrances to the harvest. And here they are. Number one, when we don't know what we want for the future. That's a huge hindrance to the harvest you want in your life. I want you to think about this. I'm gonna ask the question, what do you want? Now that's gonna seem odd. You're like, ah, you're getting prosperity. God. No, no, no. God is the one who gave us this illustration. A farmer can walk up to an empty piece of land before anything's happened. And that farmer can decide what he wants to grow on that field. The farmer can look at that field and say, I would like to have corn. I don't know. I would like to have tomatoes. I would like to have barley. I would, whatever it is, the farmer can decide. And when he decides what he wants, that's the seed that he sows, because what you sow, you will reap. I'm asking you, what do you want in your future? What do you want? What do you want the field of your family to look like? This goes beyond just money, but let's be honest, money is the central issue. But this goes beyond money. What do you want the field of your home to be like, the field of your future, the field of your marriage? What do you want your kids and their families, their fields to one day look like? All of that comes back to the seed we are sowing or not sowing today. If I want a firm foundation financially, under my feet in the future, then guess what I'm doing today? Putting God first with my finances today. If I want radical doors of opportunity open in the future, if I do want miracles to come out of nowhere, if I do at the end of the day when all everything's falling, because I'm being honest, we've tied our whole adult life and in our marriage, my wife and I, but we still have hard times. We're still looking at bills going, well, I mean, how, what's gonna happen? But I'm telling you, there has never been a bill there has never been a day, there has never been a season in our life as tight as finances were, and as much as the math said it was impossible, there was never a season where God did not come through. Why? Yes, because we sowed the seed. What kind of field do you want? If we don't know what we want, then we can't complain about the harvest we get, because you're sowing seed. We can't look to God and say, I don't like this harvest. Look what you did. God's saying, I didn't do that. You did. What field do you want? If you want an amazing marriage, sow seeds of time, love, compassion, selflessness. 
If you want the, you want the harvest of, of a great family, so time, selflessness, compassion. If you want the harvest of security and a strong foundation financially, sow the seed of putting God first. It's the law of sowing and reaping. All right, second hindrance. You guys still with me today? All right, second hindrance is this. When we get discouraged by conditions and circumstances and stop sowing our seed. When we get discouraged by conditions and circumstances and stop sowing our seed. You know, the passage from Ecclesiastes said, if you look at the clouds, if you're watching the wind, you're, you're, you're not gonna do what I'm telling you to do. God, God's saying we have one major act of obedience, right? Sow the seed. But, but he's saying, in order to sow the seed, I can't become consumed by conditions and circumstances. The way we know, the way we'll know if we have succumbed to that mentality is if we are in a season of giving to the church, we are in a season of bringing the tithe, and then all of a sudden, everything blows up, something happens, the engine actually blows up, tires, something happens at the house, what is the very first thing you pause in your finances? That shows you what you trust more. If the very first thing you pause is what goes to the church, what are you telling yourself? Like, I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, what are you telling God? What you're telling God is the moment there is wind and clouds, I, I've got to trust myself, the math, the dollars, and, and we're not putting our best, our first. We're not, no longer trusting God with our finances when that happens. There's always going to be circumstances. There's always going to be the excuse of a bad economy. I mean, there, there's always going to be something. There's always going to be conditions and circumstances. So that's why we have to intentionally prioritize what we bring back to God. When we do it, how we do it, the strategy behind it, it cannot be what's left over. It cannot be what's left over, which brings me to the second principle the second principle is this, the principle of first fruit. So the first one was the law of sowing and reaping. Number two is the principle of first fruit. This one's shorter. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of your income. Now I want you to ask yourself this, why would God put that in scripture? Why would he say, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best? Why would he do that? Is it because God's up there going, I want the first and best? God knows that he is the owner, creator of everything, and that, yes, that is one of the aspects that we worship him. But he also is the one who built the system. He's the one who built the pattern, universal, eternal, unavoidable. So if he built it at the beginning, he's gonna follow through with it until the end. So it is to our benefit that we do finances God's way and bring him our best and first, because when it's our best and first at the top of the budget, Everything flows from our commitment to God saying you are first and you are best and I'm going to trust you with the rest. That rhymed, I didn't even mean to it for it to, it's just awesome. I, I, but here's the truth though, when it's at the top of the budget, there's a trickle down effect of how that just soaks into every part of your finances. But when we have what I call the budget upside down, and giving is at the bottom, then we have the tipping mentality with God, and we're saying, I'm gonna give you our last and worst. I'm gonna give you what's left over, right? 
And then where does that mentality, how does that match with what you're expecting from God today? God, here's what I'm expecting, but here's what I'm sowing. Can you reconcile those two? I'm telling you, I'm not, I said at the beginning, I'm not preaching this from a def, desperate place as your pastor with the church. This will radically change your life. If you are constantly saying, I can't afford, I can't, we can't, we're in debt, we're doing this, I have so many dreams and aspirations. If you're constantly saying that, but these two things can't be reconciled, what we're investing versus what we're expecting, if those things can't be reconciled, Take the faith step and watch what God will do in your life. Because with every command in scripture, there's also a blessing for us on the other side of it. It's not just for God to just say, all right, obey me and him patting himself on the back. The obedience to God blesses him. And it also, like we talked about two weeks ago, it blesses you. The principle of the first fruit. Turn your budget upside down. I dare you. The next paycheck before the mortgage, before the car payment, before the utilities. Make it an act of worship in a holy moment and say, God, I trust your word. I trust you. And we're gonna tithe 10%. We can't call something tithe if it's not 10. We're gonna tithe 10% and watch. Watch what begins to happen. Matthew 6, Jesus said this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Who's getting first and who's getting best? Which leads us to number three, the principle of the tithe. I've been throwing this word out, but just for really quickly before we close, I wanna give you the definition of this and what it means and our perspective on this scripturally. God has eternally and universally put into motion the principle of the tithe. Tithe is the Hebrew word for tenth. One of the things, I think it's just a cultural thing what happens in church sometimes is we'll give something and people call that the tithe because they don't know really where tithe comes from. Tithe is the Hebrew word for tenth. We can be giving to church, we can be giving to God, but it's only a tithe when it's 10% by literal definition, right? Malachi 3, 6 through 10 in the Old Testament, probably the most famous passage on the tithe, says this, I, the Lord, never change. I think that's important how this starts because some people go, that's just in the Old Testament. But then he literally starts this portion with, I, the Lord, never change. This is why you descendants of Jacob haven't been destroyed yet. Since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my laws and have not followed them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. But you ask, how can we return? Can a person cheat God? Yet you are cheating me. But you ask, how are we cheating you? And this is what he says. When you don't bring a tenth of your income or other contributions, so a curse is on you because the whole nation is cheating me. Bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings into the storehouse. What was the storehouse? Here's the picture. Okay, the storehouse in the Old Testament functions as the church, in, as the institution in the New Testament. Why? Because the storehouse, they were feeding what was feeding them. This is also another principle, but I didn't want to keep you here for two hours and teach on this one as well. But there's also this principle all through scripture. It's kind of in sowing and reaping. Feed what's feeding you. We feed the earth, the earth feeds us. We take care of the world because the world takes care of us. 
feed what's feeding you. But what happens is when only eight or 9% of people are tithing in a church, that means 90, 91, 92% of people are feeding, right? But not feeding what's feeding them. And, and that's, if you're visiting or, or new to our church, I'm not preaching, this isn't, this isn't for you at the moment. And I'm not frustrated, I'm not mad. I'm just telling you we can choose to get into the system of God or not. But at some point, think about what we expect with government. Think about what we expect with law-abiding citizens. Think about what we expect with every other institution. If I'm going to receive, I'm gonna give. If I'm gonna receive, I'm gonna give. And I think at some point with church, we have to say that's pretty, that makes sense. That makes sense, I I wanna jump into that system the storehouse in the Old Testament. But then some people say, well, well, I, I heard that tithing isn't even in the New Testament, that Jesus actually said, don't tithe. That's a lie. I'll show you. What does Jesus actually say in Luke eleven forty two? He's talking to the Pharisees, Jewish leaders, and he says, but woe to you, Pharisees, for though you are careful to tithe even the smallest part of your income, you completely forget about justice and the love of God. This is what he says. Ready, ready, ready? You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave these other things undone. He says justice and the love of God, those are paramount. They are the most important. And he's getting on to them because he's saying, you're making this a religious thing. You're making this a box to be checked. Well, I did my tithe, now God owes me, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, guys, it's not about checking the box. It's about the heart and honoring God with what he asked you to bring. I'm bringing this as an act of worship and honor to a God who has only asked for 10% of the 100% that he's given me. And Jesus is saying, your hearts have become sour toward this, religious toward this. And he said, you should be tithing, yes, but your hearts are in the wrong place. That's what the New Testament says. All through the New Testament, the epistles where, where, Pete, or where the apostle Paul is writing to the churches, he's operating off the assumption that these churches are tithing. And then he comes and asks for contributions above the tithe itself. Tithing is in the Old Testament, the New Testament. This isn't a conclusion I came up with because I'm a pastor. This is what the word of God says and I'm choosing to follow it because I'm a believer. And I'm looking at the word of God as transcendent. And number four is this, God is eternally and universally put into motion the pattern of generosity. Are you guys still with me today? The pattern of generosity. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible in the message translation. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. I love that. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Haven't you seen that in your own life? Generous people, their, their world is big. Because they're not the ultimate destination. They're not the center. They're they're not expecting for everything to to revolve around them. Generous people think big. Their world is big. Their opportunities are big. Why? Not because they're trying to manipulate God, but it's just a system that God has set in motion. A A universal, eternal, unavoidable, transcendent system. Sowing and reaping. Generosity. Generosity, we believe, starts at 11%. I can have a generous posture with people, with serving. Serving is one of the things we're gonna talk about. I wanna talk about generosity again with service, right? And even mission, it's thinking beyond ourselves. Generosity is so much bigger than finances, but one of these had to be on money because Jesus spoke about money and possessions. 15% of all of his teachings were on money and possessions. 15%, it's huge, right? 
because he knew that this would be a pretty big competitor. Generosity is something that's huge. Generosity is what we did for our, our church family in Maui. Generosity is what we do every year for Heart for the House. This, the offering, what we're actually gonna be going into in November, where we have big vision and plans for the following year. Generosity is we sowed into that to build our new North Campus um, that we're opening this next year. Generosity is saying, I'm faithfully tithing off of all my income as I get it, but then there are times where God says, give more. Whoa, are you serious? Yeah. I promise you, there are people sitting in this room in seasons of their lives where giving 50, 60, 70% of their income to the church. You can never outgive God. There are some people, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week, who have the spiritual gift of giving and you've never gotten upset when a pastor talks about money or when the person talks about money in the offering, your heart starts beating because you think, why, why, why am I not getting upset by this? Why do I get excited about this? I believe because the Spirit has placed on you a spiritual gift of giving where you are literally going to be this storehouse that God flows blessing through. He's wanting to bless your business to be a blessing. He's wanting to bless your life to be a blessing. He's wanting to bless your finances. I believe there are business owners in here where if we had the mindset of not just me personally giving, but also my business giving, that you'll never outgive God. Again, I'm not telling you something that I have not experienced and lived. Either all of this is real or all of this isn't. And if all of this is real, God will sustain you empower you, and his blessing will flow through you to vessels that are saying, God, use me. I'm going to obey this, these commandments and principles, and I choose to be a part of your system and not go against it. When it comes to generosity, I said this in week one, 77% of those who do tithe, around the entire world, only 3% in, in, Amer in America, only 3% of active churchgoers tithe. In a, in a poll that was done, I think with 10,000 people with Pew Research. Only 3%. Our church is better than that, which is awesome, right? But here's what's crazy. 77% of tithers give more than 10%. Why? Because, just like Malachi says, they've tested God in that. That's the only time God says to test him, with a tithe. They have tested God, and he has poured out blessing. And they're looking at this going, I don't wanna be like the Pharisees where it's just 10%. God, use me. If it's above 10, use me. And they're experiencing that flow of God's, the blessing flowing through their lives. And they're saying, this is real. I have experienced it. Now God, use me above and beyond. And there's no limit. There's no limit to how much God can use you and what he wants to do in you. But it starts with a heart posture and understanding. Understanding God, there's a system and a way. And I wanna be a part of it. So I wanna end today going through some next steps. We have the stairs every week I'm talking about next steps. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. And I remember last week, I was like, I think one of this, one of your next steps should be alpha. I think going into, yeah, going into Saturday night, I think we had like 150 people signed up for alpha. Well, last, last Monday night, we had almost 500 people here for alpha. Yeah. I, I walked out to the foyer and I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah, good problem. It was amazing though, amazing. Next steps, right? Next steps, there's next steps for, for all of these. I think for some of us, our next step is simply a change in perspective. Maybe we came in here today going, you know, I, 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 if that pastor talks about money, I'm never going back. Well, if you're a believer, why? If it's in the Bible, Jesus taught about it 15% of the time, would you leave his church? Would you get mad at Jesus, right? So what, what about it is rubbing me the wrong way? And maybe our first step is just getting a little bit different perspective on this. Maybe, maybe someone's next step is tithing, 10%. A few weeks ago, I'm gonna be super honest with you, a few weeks ago, I started kind of, 
I'm pulling back and saying, I think what I'm gonna do is do maybe like your first step is 2%, then your next step is 4%, and then moving up. And I felt like God spoke to me. And if you've been here a long time, you know, I don't walk around saying God said, God said all the time. I mean it. I felt like God, I was working out at a gym and I went to the corner. I was like having to like repent in the corner. I felt like God said, why are you teaching my people to disobey? There's no such thing as obedience at 2%, obedience at four, obedience at five. That's all disobedience. God's saying the first step is 10%. Then we're obeying. Everything else after that is faith. This is just obedience. This is just obedience, right? So for some of us, it's a change of perspective. For some of us, it's just saying, I'm going to start tithing. And I mentioned a little while ago, for some of us, it's flipping our budget upside down because our budgets are done wrong, right? We're starting with what the world says is most important and working our way down. But have we ever stopped and said, our first step should be, what does God say is most important and start there? So maybe some of us, before our next paycheck, we go home and redo our budgets so we can have a new perspective and we can start tithing and we can have a new budget that really works and we're not constantly running out of money, but we're testing God. And the only thing and the only area in scripture he said to test him, the tithe, that's it. Maybe some of us are tithing and we're looking at this thinking, I, I do know that tithing, it's, it works, if you will. It's real. Maybe for you, the next step is generosity, going, going above and beyond the tithe. We have a ministry here called Kingdom Builders. It's amazing. There's about 120 people. I think we have a slide for this. There's about 120 people in our church who are a part of a ministry called Kingdom Builders. And this is a ministry where they're committing to going above and beyond the tithe to do things that are, so our church can do things here and around the world that we couldn't do if we were only depending on the tithe money coming in on Sundays. These are people that have a heart for generosity. Possibly their, their gift is, is spiritual giving, but they know I don't wanna just be, I don't wanna just come to the house of God. I wanna be a part of building the house of God. And so if you're interested in kingdom builders, if you're tithing and you're saying, I would love to step into a new realm of generosity, we have a luncheon coming up on November 2nd. My dad and I lead those luncheons. It's a no pressure luncheon. It's just one of those things where we say, hey, I'm giving you practical next steps every week, by the way. This is practical. This is one of those luncheons where we say, this is what kingdom builders is. Here's a few kingdom builders here that have come to the luncheon. This is what we're accomplishing. This is what we're doing. Go home, pray about whether or not God is telling you to do this, and then get back to us and let us know. It's amazing. People, I mean, people love being a part of kingdom builders and the vision that we're casting and what we're able to do around the world. Another, another practical next step, and this is the last one I'll give you today, and then I'll, I'll show you our resource page. Another practical next step for you, our CFO here at the church, his name is Jordan Spence. He's actually in Maui right now. I believe he comes back tomorrow. Um, he is an amazing ministry-minded financial mind. He's a CPA. Um, he, he was at Sandia Labs for years and years and years, just came on staff at our church um, about a year ago, and has, is just an amazing um, communicator and teacher about finances. This week, we have a slide for this too. This Wednesday night um, at 6.30, I believe, can we put that up real fast? Personal finance. Right there. Uh, we have on Personal Finance 101. Um, sorry if these are in the way a little bit up there too. Um, this Wednesday night at 6.30 here at the church, it's a one-night class. Now, here's the thing. Like if I was preaching on marriage, I'm like, we have a marriage teaching on Wednesday night. You'd be like, well, I'm not going. Everybody's gonna think we have a bad marriage, right? So if you look at the personal finances, it's not like if you come, we're going, oh, bad finances. No, 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 no. This, this is, I'm telling you, this will change your life. It's about creating a vision, a vision for your finances 
God's way. That's it. It's just a one night class. He has worked so hard on this. We're doing it here and then also recording it and we'll be playing it in Maui. Maui, your exact same time, 6.30 on Wednesday night. Would love for you guys to be there as well. We also have a resource page for this sermon series. Every week, we would love for you to go check out our resource page. All of our resources for finances, past sermons, if you wanna know more in depth on our theology about giving. Uh, We have financial peace um, resources on here. Um, We have all kinds of stuff on there that will help you. We have budget one pagers. We don't want to just say, Hey, here's what the Bible says. Now, you know, go do something. We want to come alongside you, partner with you for your benefit. Like I told you, our church is fine. We're fine. Could we be doing more? Yes. But our church is fine. I'm not, we don't, I don't want your money. The church doesn't want your money. God wants to radically change your life and radically empower the church. That's the bottom line. Radically change your life and radically empower the church. If you do decide today, we're we're just going to jump in and start tithing. Do what Lindsay said when she was talking about the offering. Do recurring giving. Get on first and best and watch what God will do with your finances. I want to pray over you guys today and, and, and wrap up today, but was this encouraging and beneficial for you today? Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. And God, I just pray that you would lift our spirits today. How encouraged we we need to be because we can jump into a system. So many people are hurting financially right now, have questions financially right now, God. And I, I just pray that you would comfort us because you have a system. You gave us your word. You have your ways and your will. And God, today we look to you. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for challenging us and lifting us up today. God, I pray that you would bless every person here, bless their week, every person in Maui today, God, every person watching online. We thank you. We give today to you and this week to you. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch the message today. We truly hope it was impactful. Right now, wherever you are, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit leading you to receive Christ today, we wanna take the time to pray with you right now. Yes, so wherever you are, whether in your home, in your car, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Lord, I choose right now to give my heart and my life to you. Every single day, Lord, is yours from now on. I surrender to you. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, your next steps are on the screen right now. Please take the time, get connected with us, and take those critical next steps. We hope to see you back next week.